Hey there, everybody, and welcome to the Cinema Drip Podcast, the podcast where we need movies like we need our coffee. As always, I am Scott Lentz, here with my good friend and co-host, Christian Ubius. Christian, it is a pleasure to be sitting across the table from you again, my friend. We had a few episodes there where we were recording over Zoom once again, and it's nice to be back in person, seeing your your physical, fleshy face right there across from me. And finally, we can discuss the apocalypse, mano a mano, right here in front of each other. How are you feeling? I am feeling okay. I realized that I opened a can of worms because there are so many apocalypse movies. <laughs> that there are, Christian. And not only so <clears throat> many apocalypse movies, but there's movies where the apocalypse is a threat, movies where the apocalypse is happening, movies where the apocalypse has happened and we are now in a post-apocalypse, and even movies where we are in a full-blown dystopia well after the apocalypse. So <laughs> there is a, an enormous ocean of movies to choose from here as we sit down to rank our top five apocalypse movies as we wrap up our apocalypse blend of the month for February. Overall, Christian, this was your turn to guide the month. So on reflection, how do you feel? I know we talked about it a little bit at the end of last week's episode as we wrapped up our main episodes. This is now our bonus, but how are you feeling in general? I am happy because I was able to visit some movies for the first time that I've heard just such interesting things about. I know that you you also visited movies for the first time. Yeah, I mean, Children of Men was a highlight for me, a movie that I had wanted to see for a very long time, and I'm glad that I finally had the kick in the pants to do it. So definitely a, a good month for me as well, even if I was also returning to quite a few like Independence Day or Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. The structure of today is going to be a top five list. We'll start with you. Uh, not yet, but you will give your five, I'll give my five. And the interesting thing about this list is that we don't know what the other person has chosen. Yes. A lot of times we'll do a joint list, kind of combine our thoughts and put together the ones that we feel most excited about. But with just how many options there were, we decided to put together our own top five lists and we will surprise each other with them today. So I'm most curious to see if there's anything that shows up on both of our lists, maybe from this month or not. We'll see. I, I think there will be one. I think there will be one. I am surprised if there would be two. Okay. So I want to ask, were there any principles that you used to guide your thinking or movies that made this list for you? Or I should say that didn't make this list for you maybe because they didn't fit specific criteria for an apocalypse list. I have a, you know, a couple categories of movies I sort of cardened off. Uh, is not part of the the pool for the list. So I'm curious what you used as your you know criteria for putting it together. Well, my thought was that it cannot be a dystopia in that the current world order has fallen and a new world order has risen. We, we were talking about Mad Max right before this episode. I think Mad Max is eligible because it's a bunch of tribes, kind of, that are duking it out and i don't really think that's a dystopia i'm thinking much more or maybe it's a dystopia but it, it's it's not coherent i'm thinking much more like a hunger games does not fit because for hunger games it, they're there are full-blown districts you know they have state lines they have senators and stuff like that decades of games of pitting young people against one another <laughs> it, it, exactly so it, it's 
The more advanced the society, despite how awful it might be, the less I think it counts under Apocalypse. Okay, so I think I was a little bit stricter with putting my list together. And for example, while we were talking about Mad Max, ultimately did not include, I've only seen two of the four movies, but I didn't include any of them on my list because I tried to go for movies where the apocalypse is happening or has essentially just happened. Uh, looking at movies that really focus on the end of it all or the end of society as we know it and try to leave post-apocalyptic movies off. And so in the Mad Max movies, we are living <coughs> in a post-apocalyptic society, especially as we get deeper into that franchise. And so that also limited things like some zombie movies, you know, where some form of society has rebounded since the zombie apocalypse. And so there are zombie movies that I quite enjoy that didn't make the list. And we'll get into some honorable mentions later and maybe I'll mention them then. Anything else you want to share before we get into our list proper? No, because I'm ex I'm excited to hear what your movies are. So let let's just let's just dive in. Let's dive in. Let's just dive in. So my number five movie for our for uh, my top five apocalypse movies is Twenty Eight Days Later, directed by Danny Boyle and written by Alex Garland. Twenty Eight Days Later is very perfect uh, or an apt title because it follows 28 days after a zombie virus has hit Britain and Killian Murphy plays Jim, a bicycle courier who wakes up in a hospital, wakes up from a coma and finds London abandoned and has to figure out how to survive. So I included this on my apocalypse list and it's already going against some of the principles I've just laid out. <laughs> it's, I included it on the list because the opening of this movie is pretty famous for how bleak it is. Not just in a zombie apocalypse happening, but Jim gets out of the hospital and he starts wandering around an empty London, which obviously one of the biggest, most populous cities in the world. And they pulled off some crazy behind-the-scenes tricks to shoot this, rising at very early hours in the morning where the city government would stop traffic in some of these really populous areas again where there's normally tons of traffic even at three four five in the morning they stopped it so they could shoot for 45 minutes at a time some of these crazy stories and although society has just collapsed that's why i included it on the list because it wasn't fully into post-apocalyptic territory this is still an active threat and humanity is you know they're they're trying to survive the initial outbreak so christian have you seen 28 days later it was on the long list of movies I thought I should watch before this episode I did not get around to. <laughs> Alas. It is streaming on HBO Max right now, friends, if you're curious out there to check it out. I think it's also on Hulu. It, I'm very interested. Having seen more of Killian Murphy recently, I love him. And so did, so you, I, you're positive, but how positive are you on this movie? Like a... Like, were you, were you, is it a one where you're cheering, one where you're at the edge of your seat? Don't give anything away, but... Yeah, so, you mean positive, like, my emotions throughout the movie? Like, is humanity going to make it? Or just, <laughs> just how do I feel about the movie? How do you feel about the movie? Well, obviously, it's my number five on this list. Uh, it's There are some honorable mentions I'll get to later that I definitely would have swapped in for this movie. It's not the one that I'm the most enthusiastic about, but I definitely wanted a chance to talk about it, especially as a zombie entry. There are also a lot about this movie that is really cool that recommends it. Like, the way they shot it, it was shot on digital cameras, a lot of handheld cameras specifically, and so 
we're in that weird time frame where digital's starting to take over from film and a lot of movies that intentionally use digital in my uneducated opinion look just kind of bad <laughs> they're like tough to watch even if there is an interesting story going on or great acting but danny boyle and he worked with anthony dodd mantle as his cinematographer here managed to actually put a ton of effort into not just the look and the feel of the movie, but even the compositions. And there's a lot of really intriguing images that come out of this movie using their little handheld cameras. And so I think 28 Days Later is a really cool story, really cool zombie movie. It's credited with sort of revitalizing interest in the genre after a down period in the 90s. And cool commentary just on the world even because it comes out shortly after 9-11. So just a really, really cool movie, both from a filmmaking perspective, from a story perspective, and even from a you know broader cultural impact perspective. So that was my pick for number five. Christian, what is yours? My pick for number five, we watched the last three minutes right before this, is War Games. <laughs> War Games, 1983, directed by John Badham, written by Lawrence Lasker and Walter F. Park, starring Matthew Broderick, Dabney Coleman, John Wood, Ali Sheedy. Have you seen War Games, Scott? So I have seen War Games, but I watched it a long time ago. And so there are other movies like this that I have seen, but didn't can't really consider for the list just because I couldn't say anything smart about it <laughs> other than I remember liking it. So have seen War Games, but I remember almost nothing from it. I saw it a long time ago also, and I remember loving Matthew Broderick, who in the 1980s was just having a moment. Truly. I mean, Ferris Bueller, I maintain... To me, is like a five out of five star movie. Lo- love it. Ferris Bueller. I mean, Ferris Bueller's Day Off is incredible. It's one of the best teen movies ever. Let alone exactly. For the 80s. And Matthew Broderick is still that charming, geeky, leading man thing in this movie. For everyone who has not seen War Games, so it is about a high school student slacker who likes to play with computers. And again, this is during the nineteen eighties, the Cold War. It, it's set during the Cold War, and. He accidentally hacks into the military's nuclear base and starts to play what he thinks is a game with that computer. But that computer wants to win the game and therefore starts initiating simulations and actual nuclear threatening events that could bring about the end of the war. A truly incredible premise. Now that we are good concept, (laughs) almost forty years removed from it, it's amazing. (laughs) And what I've realized is that people people view this movie as dated. Like some people say, this movie hasn't aged well, or um, we're not living under the constant threat of nuclear strike, and so there are just some corny elements to it. And there are corny elements to this script, but it's so fun, and I think that it. The, the concept of the apocalypse that this really got for me is that sometimes we treat an apocalypse like it's a game. I mean, we could talk day and night about uh, how we treat global warming. It's a game to us. How far can we go? And this took it. But the thing about treating the apocalypse as a game is that no one wins. There is no amount of acceptable casualties. And seeing that, Um, There are flaws to this movie that just I did not care about compared to the concept of this teenager thinking, what have I done? Yeah, it is both an interesting commentary on almost like fear of computers, like (laughs) a whiz kid teenager hacking into government 
tools and start almost initiating a nuclear war. But like you're saying, I, I really like that point you made about how sometimes we approach the end of it all like a game. And I, I think that's a common criticism you hear, and, you know, not to get too political for this podcast, but for people on the, you know, the left aisle uh, in politics who criticize people who are, you know, very pro-business or not as interested in regulations. And that's how people on the left talk about people on, on the right who are, you know, more laissez-faire when it comes to climate change or things like that. And so it is a really interesting concept that movies in this subgenre can approach is how are we even treating the apocalypse? Are we going to be fearful of it? Or are we just going to say, screw it and see what happens? Or are we going to treat it like a game? So that's not something I thought about with war games and I'll have to rewatch it and see if I can pick up on more. Especially because we don't live under the threat of a nuclear strike anymore. And yet there are still nuclear weapons out there that at any moment could be set off. So, some, some Food for thought. Food for thought. Food for thought. <laughs> All right, Scott, what's your number four? My number four is a movie that I watched yesterday, and I'm glad that I did, because my number four is Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Wait, 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 wait. 1978? 1956. Ah, okay. <laughs> okay. I have seen the 1978 one. Oh, my gosh. Perfect. Well, we'll get into it, I'm sure. So... Uh, the, again, the version of this film that I am choosing is 1956's Invasion of the Body Snatchers, directed by Don Siegel, and starring Kevin McCarthy and Dana Winter. It's a very famous story. This is an oft-remade movie, uh, as, of course, Christian and I have seen <laughs> different uh, versions of this, but following a small-town doctor who learns that many of the people who are normally under his care are reporting these delusions that... One young boy thinks his mother is no longer his mother. Uh, another woman thinks that her uncle is no longer her uncle. And he tries to get to the bottom of what is going on. And of course, what is happening is that there is uh, an invasion of body snatchers. <laughs> so he and his rekindled romance with his high school girlfriend have to survive and escape. So... Again, this is a really known commodity in terms of movies. This, uh, the version that I saw is the first made in 1956. Christian, you just mentioned the version from 1978, which is also held in high regard. And there are other versions of this movie. There's a famous, or maybe not famous, but unfortunately just a, a bomb of it that was made in 2007 with Nicole Kidman and Daniel Craig. And apparently there's a fourth remake in development. So a story... God bless. God bless. A story that we uh, love to return to, partially because of this source material, where you can easily apply the anxieties of the day onto the body snatchers. So, I, I the apocalypse that is the threat here is aliens invading humanity and kind of switching identities, and you can't really know who is who unless you catch on to the conspiracy. And there's this threat that all humanity could be overtaken by these pods. And something fascinating about the 56 version is people on the left and on the right have claimed it as their own, where people on the right are saying it's anti-communist because it's the communists who were invading America during the Cold War and trying to get us all to abide by sameness and be, and be you know, one people. And on the left side of the aisle, they say this movie is anti-McCarthy because Joseph McCarthy, and who was the one who had the hearings trying to out communists in Hollywood, they're saying that it was his conformity that he was trying to bring down on America. And so you have these two sides who can watch the same movie and say, this is for us. And I think that's why we love this source material so much. You've seen the 1978 version, apparently. Did you 
find any of that sort of subtext within the movie? The 1978 version plays a lot like a horror movie. It's it's lovely. It's interesting. The conformity aspect and, and, and falling into line is definitely a part of it. To me, it was much more so a, do we want to turn a blind eye to this conformity or do we want to keep going? I love the 1978 version. I, it, it's a vivid memory from film school that I had to watch in order to analyze horror movies. Ah, fantastic. I, another one that I definitely want to see now that I've seen the OG, because uh, the 56 version is also played out like a horror movie, and horror sensibilities change over time, of course, and so it's a little tame by today's horror standards, but there are some great moments where the, there are these famous pods, which is where the, the body pod snatchers... People. Yes, the pod people. The body snatchers basically hatch from, and there are these great effects of, you know, these, these practical props opening and... They either stuffed, you know, stunt doubles or body doubles or dummies, basically, and they're covered with all these, like, this goop, or even literally bubbles as they're sort of, like, coming through. Uh, a lot of these great old-school practical effects, and it's just such a fun movie to watch, and it's 80 minutes long. Like, you can bang it out so quickly. There's this great, exasperated, old-timey horror performance from McCarthy at the center, who would go on to be an Oscar-nominated actor. So, yeah, just a lot of fun to be had here in Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Plus, if you're willing to go there for it, all that delightful subtext that you want to find. So, that was my number four. Okay, my my number four... I'm, I'm going to go off on a limb here and say that you have this on your list. Okay. Children of Men. No. Wow. <laughs> so we have already talked about this movie at length. And here's why I didn't put it on my list. I did consider it. The reason that it's not here is because of those parameters I laid out at the beginning. Wanting to talk about movies dealing directly with the apocalypse that is either currently happening or has just happened. And in Short of Men, the actual apocalypse is still decades away, but humanity is in, under okay. threat of an apocalypse. I get that. Which is very... You know, specific reason to not no, put it no, on no. the list, I, but that's that's, that's why. Yeah, no, but Alfonso Perón, we have talked about it. Screenplay by him, Timothy J. Sexton, David Arada, Mark Fergus, and Hawk Ostby. Directed by Alfonso Perón, and beautiful, beautiful portrait of what it means to have the last hope for humanity in a humanity that has not seen a child born in 18 years. For that last hope to be in a pregnant woman... And what does this mean? And I think I chose it. I, I was definitely thinking about what it is that you just said. The apocalypse is decades away, but I think it was the the fear of losing this baby. Because everyone looks at this baby, at this woman, with reverence. Like, you are a miracle. This is There are definitely biblical themes under scoring all of this. Many people have cited this as a comparison to the nativity story in the Bible and a, a hope for a future, whereas currently we live in a broken world. So what does it mean for that hope to come? And it is Clive Owen's transformation from a guy who just wants sex, who's given up on the world, to a guy who is confused because his entire worldview has been shattered at the view of this pregnant woman. That really sold me. The apocalypse is forefront on everyone's mind. And if this baby had not been born, though the apocalypse would be decades away, humanity is doomed. It's like the... Have you ever read Lord of the Flies? Yeah. 
So one thing someone told me about Lord of the Flies is that, look, they were doomed from the beginning because there were no girls on this island. <laughs> so no matter what, one day they will all die. True. And, and, and that's what I'm thinking here. It's like, what do you do when, when you found that sliver? How do you protect it and how do you view other people? And what message do you, does this baby take on that you push on it? So Children of Men, beautiful, beautiful movie. It really is. And some of even some of that under the hood stuff, like you're talking about these biblical themes that are truly a part of the source material and a part of the movie. Not something we even got a chance to get into in detail last week, but it's I think even you know, as we both watch quite a lot of movies, sometimes you want something that's just rip roaring entertainment that is an absolute blast to watch. You wanna be chugging whatever drink you got and pounding the popcorn and having a good time. And sometimes you want to watch something that is going to live with you and that you'll continue to think on and that there's, it feels like there's more to discover if you return to it and if you read writing on it. And Children of Men is absolutely one of those movies. Even picking up on some of the biblical aspects of it that I didn't even catch the first time, like I, I noted sort of the nativity aspect of it, especially near the end of the movie when the baby is born and and they're walking out of that apartment building in the refugee camp but even noting the fact that she first announces key first announces her pregnancy in a stable standing by farm animals there was no room in the inn. there was no room in the inn, and you know little moments of intention like that which i'm not sure how much is from uh, pd james original novel or how much was included by Poron and the screenwriters but definitely one of the, the cooler aspects of that movie blending this this doom and future apocalypse with a, a profound sense of humanity and hope Okay, well, if, if this movie isn't on your list, I don't think we have any overlap. Okay. <laughs> Let's go to your number three. My number three, Christian. <laughs> oh, baby. My number three is Armageddon. <laughs> I have not seen it. Directed by Michael Bay. Written by Robert Roy Poole and Jonathan Hensley. Armageddon, I talked about last year. When during, we talked about Deep Impact. Yes, when we talked about Deep Impact during our original sci-fi directed by Women Blend of the Month. Not the easiest title, but Armageddon is... I'm trying to find a way to describe this. If Deep Impact is a English student who is trying to get their book of poetry published, but it's not very good, and their teacher's trying to find a way to support them without putting them down. Armageddon is the quarterback who's got a 2.4 GPA, but everybody loves him anyway. (laughs) Armageddon is a terrible movie, and (laughs) Armageddon is an incredible movie. (laughs) It is both. It is Schrodinger's film. It, it is truly a, a, it is the most expensive trashter piece ever made. <laughs> like, it's hard to, to describe this movie in the brief blurb that I get about it here on this episode. But if you are unaware with Deep Impact or with Armageddon, Armageddon is another movie where an asteroid is threatening to collide with Earth. And, it's got and Ben Affleck, right? Civilization as we know it, it sure does. And so NASA comes to Bruce Willis, who From NASA, yes, who is not an astronaut. He is in fact a an oil driller uh, who works on a rig out in the ocean. And they come to him as their last hope, so that he has to rally his crew, fly into space, and drill down into the astronauts so they can plant nukes and explode the asteroid explode. before <laughs> it comes for humanity. 
that premise, as you may note if you're listening, is so stupid that Ben Affleck openly wonders about it on the commentary for the movie. <laughs> so... <laughs> Why don't they train astronauts to drill? Who knows? Why do they train drillers to be astronauts? Because Michael Bay said so. This movie is ridiculously entertaining. It is 151 minutes long, and I don't think there's a single take longer than two seconds. It is constantly (laughs) cutting, and it is so quintessentially Michael Bay. And he is, uh, I don't know if he's controversial. I wouldn't necessarily call him that, but he certainly has his critics many people who just outright hate his movies and i haven't seen them all i know that he has made quite a few stinkers in his time but armageddon is one of those movies that has people who adore it and people who despise it (laughs) it's just so entertaining must be seen to be believed Uh, have you did you ever watch this in the wake of deep impact you said no I, i said no uh, but not because I don't want to. I think it's the two and a half hour runtime that oh kind of keeps me at bay for a little bit. <laughs> it's a commitment. I'm, I'm I'm excited for Ambulance though. So many people like that trailer looks terrible. I'm not gonna lie, kind of down for Ambulance. Oh boy, I have no idea what to make of Ambulance. I do think that trailer looks dumb. But while we're on Armageddon, I I mean this cast is incredible. It's uh, Bruce Willis I mentioned is the star, and I mentioned Ben Affleck. Uh, also have Liv Tyler, pre Lord of the Rings, Billy Bob Thornton, Will Patton, who is a Maybe not a name people necessarily know, but he's certainly a face you'll recognize. Steve Buscemi, Owen Wilson, Michael Clark Duncan, and many more people you will recognize as you watch this movie. Um, The last thing I have to mention is, of course, I Don't Want to Miss a Thing, the Aerosmith song that (laughs) is all over this movie and has a place in culture. Like, you know, it's that... That song from a movie that just lives in your head whenever you think about it. And anytime Armageddon crossed my mind, <laughs> I hear Steven Tyler singing along in the background and Ben Affleck playing with his animal crackers on Liv Tyler's tummy. And that's all I'll say about that, Christian. Real fans of Armageddon know. It's my number three for top five apocalypse movies. It pairs decently well with my number three, which you are not going to believe that I have on my list. Is it Deep Impact? No, no, uh, no, 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 no. Then I, I think... have not stooped that low. <laughs> then I think I know what it is, Christian, but go ahead and say it. No, you don't. I don't? It's written by Christopher Marcus and Stephen McFeely. And then I think I do know what it is. Say it. Avengers Endgame. Oh my gosh. <laughs> That's not, <laughs> not what I was expecting. Okay. Fire away. Avengers? I mean... First, you have to admit this is an apocalypse movie. Um, Half of humanity has been wiped away, and he comes back and says, I'm going to... No, half of all life, and he comes back and says, I'm going to reduce the universe to its smallest possible atom and retry. Ooh, okay. I did forget that specific piece of Thanos' plan. Because I thought sort of Infinity War might be the more apocalyptic, because it's the threat of what Thanos does, and then Endgame is the rebound from it. But I do see what you're saying. I forget that we get Thanos Take Two, whose plan is to wipe it all out. So okay, fair. I won't. I won't complain. There we go. <laughs> now look, look, because as soon as we said apocalypse movies, I, 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 I'm not someone who thinks that we need to include something from every single style of apocalypse movies for this to be a well-rounded out list. But I did think, what are movies that people don't normally consider apocalyptic, but really are? And Avengers Endgame, just one of the best theater experiences I've ever had. It just jumped to mind. I mean, look, Thanos already wiped everyone out. Well, half of everyone out. And the people who remain are like, all right, let's go back in time (laughs) and stop him. And they go back in time and try and stop him. And he finds out and he's like, all right, 
You think you can mess with me? Bet. And comes back. <laughs> it, it is so good. Uh, and just the apocalyptic elements of it. When you see all that trash that's lined up next to the city when um, uh, Ant-Man finally comes out of the quantum realm. Or, or when you see, like, in that church basement, the, like, Survivor's Anonymous meeting that, that Captain America goes through. Or how um, uh, Iron Man talks about how he, he doesn't want to lose anything if it, because he already avoided the worst. He came off lucky. Why would he want to risk that again? Or just how epic that final fight scene is. I mean, and I'm not even including any of the mentions about the MCU or the where they go back in time and all those stuff. Yeah, that's cool. And that's awesome. And that's what makes me love the movie a lot. But the actual... Everyone in the universe is now at risk of just being decimated. It's the biggest apocalypse that you can possibly have. Right. It's not just uh, an Earth apocalypse. It's an everything apocalypse. <laughs> Galaxies. <laughs> Wide apocalypse. I did not think to include Endgame on this list, although it's certainly a movie that I adore more than most of the movies I have mentioned already and, and will mention on this list. I uh, One aspect of apocaly- you know, apocalypse movies that I wasn't sure how to consider was movies where, you know, humanity is at stake. And a lot of times that's just every superhero movie. <laughs> There's some CGI villain who's going to blow everything up and kill all the women and children unless we stop him. And so I, I didn't know how to consider movies like that because the like the destruction of humanity is so frequently used. It's, it's not necessarily an apocalypse movie if it's a superhero movie. But I do see what you're saying and, and how Endgame fits into this, not just with the threat that Thanos poses, but with the apocalyptic imagery that they lean on. And although Endgame is three hours and people who aren't MCU fans could certainly critique the indulgence of that runtime, I do like the beginning of the movie in particular, as it leans into the emotions created by this incredible loss. People would not move on, even five years later, if something like this happened. They're lost in space, even at the beginning, it's because it's just occurred. Like, half of humanity has gone away, and he's playing this game, floating in, um, Robert Downey Jr. is playing this game, floating in this spaceship, thinking, well, everything's gone, I'm gonna die, like, what else do I have? It, it's, they, they, they use it a lot more than people remember, but that is, that is my number three. Um, let's go, let's go on to your number two. Let's do it, Christian. My number two is, again... One that I wasn't sure if I should include it on this list, and I'm just going to send it and explain why. My number two is Terminator 2, Judgment Day. Okay, okay, okay. Directed by, of course, James Cameron, written by him and William Wisher Jr. Judgment Day, of course, follows the original Terminator, and Arnold Schwarzenegger comes back in time once again, but this time he is a good Terminator, and he is here to protect Sarah Connor and her newborn, or not newborn, but her son, now that he's in the picture, John Connor, from the T-1000. Who's 16, he's been out of the womb for a little bit. He is not newborn at all, he is a teenager, but they're protecting him from the T-1000, a newer, more advanced Terminator sent to initiate Judgment Day, which of course is the day that Skynet takes over and initiates the apocalypse that would get us to the post-apocalyptic future that the that John Connor is the leader of the resistance in. So Terminator is not a franchise that I have a ton of nostalgia for. I didn't see the original Terminator and Terminator 2 until 
a couple summers ago, honestly, and I have since gone on to watch Terminator 3, which is a little bit misguided, but still fun, and Terminator, is it, um, what's the one with Christian Bale? Is it Salvation or Genesis? Terminator Salvation, yeah, which is a steaming pile of crap, (laughs) but I still have interest in the franchise, I haven't seen uh, Genesis or Dark Fate yet, so we'll see how I feel about that, but T2, certainly deserving of the acclaim it gets, it's widely considered one of the best action movies ever made, one of the best blockbusters ever made, one of James Cameron's best movies, and he's made... Quite a few uh, <laughs> blockbuster bangers. And it's just a, a ridiculously good time at the movies. And for all of the you know marks against it, like Edward Furlong, who plays John Connor, not the best uh, youthful performance, but it's still a crazy good action movie. And there are strong elements of an apocalypse within it. And perhaps most famously, Sarah Connor has these visions of the apocalypse happening, of, of nukes dropping on Los Angeles and all around the world and the machine's taking over. And so that's why I thought to include it. Because in the first movie, Sarah Connor is just trying to escape the Terminator and survive. But in this one, there is an active threat of apocalypse because they're staving off Judgment Day when Skynet begins to take over. So that is why I landed with T2. Such like a teenage boy's fantasy, this movie. <laughs> Terminator, the Terminator series was a series that when I grew up, my parents watched and told me I couldn't be in the living room while they were watching it. <laughs> And I, I was considering rewatching Terminator 3 in preparation for this list because I've seen, I, I saw the first two last year, or rewatched the first two last year. Uh, man, Terminator 2. Oh, such great performances from Sarah Connor. And just beautiful iconography. I would buy a Terminator action figure. <laughs> I would. I mean, I'm not above it. I should say, Linda Hamilton, if you're unfamiliar with the franchise, Linda Hamilton uh, plays Sarah Connor. Yeah, no, she's she's Chuck's mom and Chuck. Didn't know that. Haven't seen Chuck. But it's, it, I mean, she gives, uh, again, an incredible performance in this movie, especially when you consider how she plays Sarah Connor in the original Terminator movie, which, if you're going to fit things into boxes, is in a way sort of a, a slasher flick where, you know, Schwarzenegger as the Terminator is this villain who won't die who is hunting her down trying to kill her at all costs with reckless abandon for the rules or society or whatever and this one is a more of a straightforward action blockbuster but sarah connor grows and changes so much because in the first movie she's so frightened she's trying to survive she's a horror movie protagonist and in this movie she's a full-blown action heroine where everybody thinks she's crazy because of what she survived in the first movie nobody believes her she has these fears of, of what's going to happen in the future based on the things that kyle reese told her and she is a dramatically changed person and being able to believably portray this person running for her life who's afraid and, and then into someone who becomes this hardened hero who's been essentially locked away in a mental hospital because people think she's gone loony it's really impressive work and within one franchise being able to portray a character at such different points in their life i i it's yeah it's incredible and it's a shame that she didn't have a longer career in hollywood i'm not quite sure why you know things tapered she off she was in terminator dark fate yeah she i mean she came back thankfully yeah. um she just didn't have the the, the a-list right. staying power she, that she should have she's not jamie lee curtis like she didn't get that treatment Right, where Jamie Lee goes from Scream Queen to being in comedies and family movies. And yeah, Linda Hamilton never got that. She uh, has not had as much staying power, so it's a shame. But she's incredible in this movie, as is 
Arnold Schwarzenegger, of course, coming back as, as a nicer Terminator. <laughs> He's great in every single one of these movies. But yeah, if you are like me and you have not yet seen the Terminator movies, I would strongly recommend that you fix that. And I'd probably be the 1,000th person to do that. But T2, that's my number two. My next one. Written by Michael Wilson and Rod Serling. Directed by Franklin J. Schaffner. We also reviewed it on the show, Planet of the Apes. Now, I did say that I liked Children of Men more than Planet of the Apes. Right now, I think I would probably still say that, but the apocalypse as it occurs or has occurred in Planet of the Apes is much more fascinating to me. I don't, what else is there to say? The idea that you drop these people off, you tell us that they're on a different planet. That ends up being a lie. And that the humanity that you see these tribes of people who cannot speak. Charlton Heston is the only human who can speak. And the society, I overlooked my society rule because it's not a human society that has been rebuilt. This is not a dystopia. This is a full-blown ape society where humanity cannot think for themselves. And that final shot, which just hammers in how this story, there's so much more to it. I have yet to see Under the Planet of the Apes. I will see it soon, I promise. But even if that those movies did not exist, what this movie manages to say, what the frick happened to end up here? And what will happen next? And is humanity right or are apes right in the best way that they can make their society? Love it. Because Charlton Heston's opening monologue, like, what home will I come back to? Will man still fight with his fellow man? Ah. Uh, beautiful <laughs> i uh, again planet of the apes didn't qualify for me because you know depicting a post-apocalypse where humanity has become a subservient species for that far in the future and there's a whole society of apes i didn't include that because we don't see an apocalypse or it's not something that has recently happened that so don't need to explain that further i suppose but definitely one that i'm another movie that i'm glad to have seen for the first time thanks to this blend i I'm a well-documented fan of the remake movies, and now that I've seen the original, I can count myself a fan of it as well. So, while it didn't make my list because of the specific rules, I have no problems with it being here on yours, my friend. You Are you thinking about finishing that franchise eventually? I, I would like to watch those movies. And, and here, you know, a little peek into the brain of, of Scott Lentz, listeners. Part of my problem is that we have all kinds of movies that we watch for the show, of course. Plus, there's all kinds of movies we are keeping up with in the real world because this is one of our I mean, main hobbies. And so there's still movies competing for Oscars that I haven't seen yet that I would like to see at some point. And then there's just the, the everyday movies I'm trying to watch just because I love movies. And so my attentions are easily easily swayed. But I would like to, number one, rewatch War for the Planet of the Apes because I still didn't get around to that one. And then watch the original series because, again, I really like the first one. And I want to watch the sequels, and so maybe that's something we can do together, Christian. I think that the worst thing that has happened Just is ever. when people Just tell me, I can't believe you haven't seen this movie added <laughs> to the top of your watch list. Sir. Sir. <laughs> Do you understand how long this watch list is? <laughs> Just hundreds, if not thousands of movies. Truly the worst question. I, I, There are so many movies out there where there are people who would probably fight me if I told them I hadn't seen it. But then I can fall back on other stuff that I've seen that they haven't. And I'm like, well, well whose interests went out? <laughs> are we, is it a shame that I haven't seen this 
mega famous movie like for example i haven't seen titanic christian it's so good it, everybody loves titanic and i haven't seen titanic i couldn't tell you why i just haven't seen titanic speaking of james cameron but then i also haven't seen classics like let's say wizard of oz i haven't seen the wizard of oz should i prioritize the wizard of oz i mean there's listeners out there who are like throwing their earbuds away in protest because of how stupid and empty-headed i am but then there's new movies coming out i'm gonna watch the new movies what am i supposed to do and then i just default to watching some random sci-fi movie and that's, that's and just, you're happy that's yep and i'm happy that's where i land give us your number one speaking of sci-fi christian we're picking a movie that came from this blend of the month because as i was considering all of the apocalypse movies i knew that i had to have my favorite from last month which is of course independence day okay just absolutely one of my favorite blockbusters ever made. It's just a quintessential Hollywood blockbuster to me. Incredible cast with Will Smith stealing the show. Incredible effects, both decently aged digital effects and awesome practical sets and props and real explosions of a, of a dinky little 10-foot White House. I mean, I raved about this movie on our show a couple weeks ago, so go listen to that episode if you want more of my thoughts on Independence Day, but... We will not go gently into that night, Christian. So Independence Day had to be my number one. It is such a good time. And, and, and it, it, it's weird when a movie... Uh, this movie is not making fun of itself, though there are definitely corny aspects to this movie. It, it's more so making itself off to be awesome. When a movie fails in being awesome, it is just lame and corny. When a movie succeeds in being awesome, it's Independence Day. Yes, I, I, so, I mean, there's one other thing about Independence Day. Like, sometimes you just, for a movie, you get lightning in a bottle. And Roland Emmerich has had a long and successful career in Hollywood. And although I haven't seen all of his movies, I can probably safely say he never made anything as good as this. You know, sometimes you catch somebody like Will Smith, who went on to be one of the biggest movie stars of all time. <laughs> like, if you were to stack people up, certainly one of the biggest of the 90s and 2000s. You catch him on his rise to fame in this movie. You catch 90s Jeff Goldblum. You catch all these other people, like, I mean, even people like Robert Loja, who's, <laughs> and James Rebhorn, these, like, character actors who fill out the ranks. It's, you know, it's things like this, where you catch people at the right point in their career, and you bring them together for an incredible time at the movies. And sometimes that, you know, that still happens these days, but even in our world now, where we have so many big franchises and superhero cinematic universes, things like that, it's just a little bit of a different landscape for blockbuster filmmaking. And so movies like Independence Day happen less frequently because the most su successful movies at the box office are attached to IP or an existing franchise. Yeah, hey, we got Moonfall. <laughs> we sure did get Moonfall. So, I mean, Independence Day is even not one of like the last of its kind because it came out in the mid-90s and there was a whole period of blockbuster filmmaking still to happen, but it just is one of those perfect Hollywood blockbusters, and I, I love it too much to, to leave it off this list. What's your number one? Written by Jim Reardon and Andrew Stanton. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it's Wally. Let's go. It had to be Wally. When when I when I considered this blend and I thought about top five lists, I'm like, I know I'm having Wally on there, and I know I'm gonna have Avengers Endgame on there. <laughs> and I don't know where Avengers Endgame's gonna be, but I know that Wally's number one. That's that's what I do. Uh, Absolute throwback for Cinema Drip. Way back when in our AI blend of the month, which, which was our second blend of the month. Was our second ever. ever blend of the month. Wally is a trash robot. <laughs> trash collecting robot let's trash say. collecting robot who just goes around and humanity has left because so much trash is stockpiled on earth that life cannot sustain it anymore like nothing can grow on earth 
and he comes across a little seedling that has managed to to form and uh eve which is a robot that has been sent down from the motherboard spaceship where the humans are to check to see every so often if life has managed to regrow on earth finds wally finds the seedling takes them back to the motherboard ship where we are on a fight against ai with with very fat humans who cannot really walk and are just floating around on chairs um and this ai motherboard thing is is trying to stop humanity from going back because of a I don't know, a, a, an alg- a program that had been embedded into it and it just wants humanity to keep on being fat. <laughs> it's a different kind of apocalypse. It, rem- honestly, I, I think as much as we called children and men in contagion very realistic views of humanity, if humanity were to ever truly go down the toilet, I feel like it might be the richest of the rich escape on a spaceship. Yeah, the guy, I, I forget his name, but the CEO of, by and large, played by Fred Willard in that yeah. movie, I feel like that could be, you know, Bezos or Elon Musk, like one of those guys who creates these enormous spaceship colonies for us to live on. Because Shelby of, Forthright is the name <laughs> of the Shelby CEO. Forthright. Yeah, Shelby Forthright, I'm sure, for, you know, destroying the planet, which is obviously what they are getting at in that movie. Yeah, I can see this happening in, in 100 years or so or whatever, however long it's going to take for us to destroy the planet. <laughs> And they're like, cool, let's go away. Let's not come back. Let's just, we can live in space. Nutrients fill our bodies. And it is such a hopeful movie also where humanity's last hopes is on this little robot who's collecting trash. And collecting trash is all he knows how to do. And yet even this trash collector recognizes the beauty in the seedling and the beauty in humanity. And it's through his eyes that we're like, we can't let humanity go down the toilet because of a musical like Hello Dolly, <laughs> where humans are just dancing and it's wonderful, or because of love, or because of stuff like trees and rivers. And and, uh, and there's so much beauty in order to... It, it, it's a movie that fills you with hope and the desire to not let the apocalypse win. And I think that's why I had to put it on here. There you go. Another movie that I thought about, but you know, didn't put on my list for the qualifications I set out. But certainly a, a good, uh, a good capper to this list. It's a movie that I love as well. It's uh, one of my favorite Pixar movies for sure. So I cannot complain here, my friend. Wally is a classic. So great way to end the list. Fantastic. Uh, let's go back. What were your What were your five through one? So to count it down, my number five was Twenty Eight Days Later. Number four, Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Number three, Armageddon. Number two, Terminator 2. And number one, Independence Day. So my number five was War Games. My number four was Children of Men. My number three was Avengers Endgame. My number two was Planet of the Apes. My number one is Wally. So Man. quality list on both sides, I would say. None of us were like upset at something the other had chosen. Yeah. <laughs> for the ones, especially for the ones where, I mean, you have not yet seen 28 Days Later or the 56 Body Snatchers, but I mean, still, movies that I would strongly recommend to you and I can see you enjoying. So all in all, pretty, pretty nice, happy episode here. No, no fights. <laughs> what were, what were some of your honorable mentions or things that you saw in consideration for the list, but didn't make the cut? Yeah. So a few movies that I watched a while ago and didn't include on the list only because I wouldn't really have a lot of 
salient things to say. Uh, the Fifth Element, also starring Bruce Willis, another great sci-fi movie. Uh, the World's End, which is part of the Edgar Wright, Simon Pegg, Nick Frost uh, trio called the... It's like the Flavors Cornetto trilogy. Shaun of the Dead is another part yeah. of that, but World's End, inspired by Invasion of the Body Snatchers, and also Take Shelter, which is a little bit more of... I don't know. It's it's hard to describe. A little bit more artsy-fartsy. Jeff Nichols directed, but stars Michael Shannon and Jessica Chastain, but a man who starts to receive or starts to get these apocalyptic visions and, and builds a storm shelter out of uh, fear of what of what could happen. Uh, again, really good movie. I just don't remember enough about it to sort of talk about it on the list, so um, I wanted to include that. Zombieland, my favorite zombie movie, hey, is more great. there you go more post-apocalyptic than full-blown apocalypse to me. So that's why I included Twenty Eight Days Later over it and. One that I watched in anticipation of the list and didn't end up, didn't end up making is Melancholia. Have you heard of Melancholia, Christian? I is is that the is that Kirsten Dunst? Yes. So directed by Lars von Trier, who is one of the uh, more fascinating and controversial figures in world cinema he over the last me. like thirty years. Yeah, uh, Melancholia is a really intriguing apocalypse movie. It, it's one I would say is more of an art film, uh, certainly not an action sci-fi blockbuster. Do not go to it expecting to see something like Armageddon. And, but if you are on the Kirsten Dunst train and you're trying to catch up with more of her work, especially in light of her Oscar nomination, or if you want to watch something just, frankly, a little more challenging, I would encourage you to watch Melancholia. It, it was not my favorite. It didn't make the list. And there was a moment where it almost flat out lost me halfway through, but... Once they sort of explain more about what's going on, things clicked into place. It's a really um, provocative and uh, thought-provoking movie with this incredible Dunst performance at the center. So, Melancholia um, was one that I watched, um, hoping it might make it. You know, you always go into a movie hoping to like it, but didn't quite get there for me. I would still encourage people to check it out. What about you? Any honorable mentions for one reason or another? Uh, okay, so I watched Andromeda Strain, which was very, very interesting. It uh, Robert Weiss, who directed West Side Story, directed Andromeda Strain. It's similar to Contagion. It's just only over a period of four days where they're isolating this really awful, awful, uh, not just virus, but alien something that they found. It, it just was a little too slow for me. Uh, it, it lost itself in the procedure a little bit, but fantastic movie, honestly. I could see someone giving it two stars the same way I could see someone giving it five stars. Outside of that, I also watched A Boy and His Dog, which was a 1975 post-nuclear war movie that has just one of the funniest endings ever. I think that... So I have two very high honorable mentions. One was Invasion of the Body Snatchers 1978, which I have not seen since my uh, senior year of film school. And so... Because I didn't get around to rewatching it, I didn't put it in, although at one point it was slotting in at like two or three. And then Sunshine, the Danny Boyle 2007 movie. Speaking of Danny Boyle and Killian Murphy. <laughs> because it was a five out of five star movie, five out of five star movie, five out of five star movie. Why the frick did you make this decision? No. <laughs> so you were obsessed with this movie until the ending, it sounds like. There is a part three-fourths of the way in where... Something happens to the plot and is so unnecessary, <laughs> even though the filmmaking and the rest of the story is so fascinating. And that is the only reason I'm like, wow, I found a masterpiece. I found my number two movie of this list. Nope. Guess I gotta watch Sunshine. <laughs> yeah. And there are, of course, so many movies that could have fit into this list one way or another, especially if we looked at post-apocalyptic movies. But... 
obviously. Very wide pool and very fun list to prepare for and, and watch things for. One other, I wanted to throw one actually that just came to mind. More in the comedy strain, but This is the End. You ever seen that movie, Christian? <laughs> That's That has James Franco and has... Uh, I, yeah. yeah. James Franco, but also Seth Rogen, Jay Burchell, Jonah Hill, and a very expansive cast of celebrities playing versions of themselves, especially Michael Sarah and Emma Watson, maybe most famously. That movie, I remember laughing at hysterically in the theater, I, but I remember almost nothing about it. <laughs> just a, a comedic look at the apocalypse, if you needed a reminder to go check it out. I just remember, I, I don't, I've not seen the movie, but I've seen a clip of Jonah Hill praying. He goes, hey God, it's Jonah Hill. From Moneyball? <laughs> and I'm like, yes. that's good. That's good. That's Very good. much a movie of Hollywood a uh, actors making fun of themselves, and everybody who shows up in it is, is having a good time at their own expense. And at like during an active apocalypse. So one that I kind of wanted to rewatch, but just didn't get around to. I um, <laughs> I recently moved as well. So that took up some time from my ability to rewatch things. So just trying to fit in new stuff and couldn't get there. I'm not going to lie. I did consider Don't Look Now. Don't Look Up, I mean. <laughs> I, I, I See, that's where I thought you were up. going. Because when you were talking about Armageddon and something similar to that, I was like, well, it's going to be Don't Look Up. Because I know that you really liked it. I, I did really like it. Ultimately, even though I really enjoyed it, I just enjoyed other movies more. Makes sense. All right. So that is our Apocalypse Blend of the Month in full. We've got our three episodes for you to listen to if you missed them, as well as our now top five lists for Apocalypse movies. And that means it's time to talk about what's coming up in the month of March. It's good. It's good. So Christian, there is a, a, uh, a little movie coming out. It's coming out very soon, actually. It's coming out March 4th. So not this Friday, but next Friday. Um... It's about a like an animal something or other superhero kind of guy. I don't know. Maybe you've heard of it. It's called the Bat the the Batman. The Batman, Christian. Have you heard about the Batman? No, I don't watch cable. It's got the guy from Twilight in it, so you know I think it, it could be good. But that's right, folks. We, I mean, I have been jonesing for this movie for a very long time. COVID nineteen intervened, but alas, uh, for COVID. The Batman is here, and I am chomping at the bit to see it. I'm so excited to both see and talk about this movie, and I'm going to drag Christian along with me, but I don't think he's going to be too disappointed about that based on our conversations. Are you looking forward to this movie, Christian? I already have my tickets. There you go. So he's better than me. I don't have tickets. But we will be seeing The Batman the weekend that it releases and then discussing it on the show. So it won't be a regular Friday release on March 4th because we are not film critics who get to see advanced screenings. We are average Joes. So <laughs> We've seen a, an advanced screening or so here and there. To be fair, I mean, we saw a test screening of a movie recently, which isn't quite the same, but... We will be seeing this movie and then dropping the episode on it shortly thereafter. So check your podcatchers on the weekend or on maybe Monday or Tuesday of the following week. And then the rest of March will be devoted to Batman on film. Uh, I'm thinking of my poor father who really wishes that we would stop talking about uh, <laughs> IP like Batman. So sorry, Dad. I love you. But uh, your son loves Batman. And we're going to be talking about him here on the show so, just for a look at where this month is going, we will be looking after the Batman at two of the most iconic Batman adventures. That would be 1989's Batman, directed by Tim Burton and starring Michael Keaton, and The Dark Knight, which of course is directed by Christopher Nolan and stars Christian Bale. Then, from there, we'll be doing a bonus episode at the end of this month, as we have been doing for our other blends here, and that is still TBD. 
wrestling with a few different Batman-themed ideas. So if you have any Batman movies you want us to discuss, maybe as a bonus episode, or if you have an idea for something like this, you know, a top five list that we could do, or like we did an Oscars retrospective for January, something like that, feel free to hit us up. That is our show. So if you've reached this point in the episode, thanks so much for listening along. As I always say, Christian and I love watching these movies and, and sharing our lists or our reviews. And so it means a lot to know that there are folks out there listening along and doing the same. Thanks for your support. There are a few things that you can do to continue to support the podcast. So if you wouldn't mind, do subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and feel free to leave us a rating and a review. Helps us reach new listeners and continue to grow the base there. So thank you for all those who have left a five-star review or who have subscribed. It means a lot. You can also reach out via email, cinemadrippodcast at gmail.com. That is how you can send us your ideas for our Batman episode. Or if you want to talk a little bit about your favorite Batman movie, seriously, would love to shout out your thoughts on this show. So please do send us an email, cinemadrippodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to share listener feedback and have used people's ideas for episodes of the show, full-blown blends of the month, or even brought them onto the show. So do send us your thoughts. Emily has sent us some thoughts on what she wants us to review, and uh, those ideas are actually maybe coming to fruition, so I'm going to keep them secret for a little bit. There we go. Quick shout-out to friend of the show, Emily Baker, who has popped on for a couple of our streaming recommendations episodes. Uh, thank you for sending your thoughts to Christian about uh, some future ideas for the show. So seriously, we're doing it right now. We're using listener feedback. Send us your thoughts. We'd love to know what you guys want for Batman Month. And of course, you can follow us on social media. I am the show or on Twitter. Christian is on Instagram. And both Christian and myself are on Letterboxd, where we are regularly rating and reviewing the things that we're watching. Christian, any final thoughts for the folks listening along at home? No. That's the it. world's ending. <laughs> Steer clear of the apocalypse, folks. Don't catch any deadly diseases. Don't give apes intelligence. Don't let the comets or the asteroids crash into Earth. Don't let the aliens invade. Don't Run let the... away from zombies. Don't just think that because you're faster than them, you will always That's out, right. out, outdo them. Uh, one of the rules from Zombieland is cardio, so make sure you keep that cardio up. Keep that cardio up. Don't let your body get snatched. Anything else? Look up. Look up. <laughs> look up. Do look up. <laughs> and until next time, this has been the Cinema Drip Podcast. <laughs>